everyone. I'm Sarah Dimio, and this is the first addendum to season one of Faded Out. It's good to be back. So I'm doing this addendum because I wanted to make sure that those of you listening are aware that the pursuit of finding out what really happened to Johnny Gosh did not stop with episode 31. In fact, a lot has happened since then. A big series of events happened just last weekend, the details of which I'll talk about in a minute. I've also been getting a lot of questions from listeners since the season finale through Facebook, Twitter, the Faded Out email inbox has been exploding. A lot of people also have been telling me that they just found this podcast, so welcome. But let's get to the questions and concerns. I'm going to begin with Sam Soda. There are several comments in the followers of Faded Out Facebook group from listeners who seem to be turned off by the fact that my general opinion of Sam Soda had changed after the interview with him. One particular post says something to the effect of, it's a bit disturbing that a complete 180 degree turn was made as far as opinions on him based solely on one interview with him. And the same post also says, of course he would want to try to clear his name. And it also mentions, it's definitely important to get both sides of the story, but you have to take anything anyone says with a grain of salt. Many criminals have inserted themselves in cases they were involved in, sometimes even going so far as to be interviewed on television. It's also important to note that one interview with someone who clearly has motivation to defend their position isn't enough to clear them completely of anything. And there are quite a few similar comments regarding Sam Soda. Why would you suddenly believe him based on one conversation? And this is true. One interaction with a person is not enough to define that person. You want to get a true snapshot of a person. You have to go to someone who knew them, but also someone who can think objectively when talking about them. So looking back at that interview we did with Sam, when we got to the part where he went to question Frank Sikora, Sam mentioned a reporter from KCCI in Des Moines. Here's that clip. Now it's two o'clock in the morning. You got it? Two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey Frank, listen, you know, if you got some time, I'd like you to come to the office where we can video this so I can get a record of it. Yeah, I can do that. So I drove him to my office and set up a video camera and had a videotape of him telling all about molesting paper boys. I had called a couple news conferences and people knew if I called it, there was gonna be shit. I called a news conference Guess who I didn't invite? The register. The register. <laughs> and the other thing, I called the the uh, the news conference for five o'clock, which would make it too late for the six o'clock news for all the stations, except for one. There was one station I called, and we had a meeting about. 3.30. So the next morning, or the, the day after, shit, the newspaper, they called me everything but a human being. They accused me of this, they accused me of that, they said I lied to him, they said I forced my way in, they did that, they did that, but they really fucked themselves. You know why? Remember I said I'm not stupid? Right. 
from the time I knocked on that man's door through the video to the time I dro dropped him off. There was somebody with me. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that somebody, God bless her, was named Mary Bach. She was with TV8 News. Really? And she was with me all the time. Now, we didn't huh. video anything or do anything. I gave, I gave them copies of right. the, the, the video that we did. Uh, but uh, I gave everybody copies at the news conference. Remember, Channel 8 had it first. But Mary Bach was with me. And they come out on, on TV8 and said, this is all bullshit. Mary Bach, you know, mm -hmm. she's, she was well-known, well-liked, well-respected. So it was all shit. But the register didn't print anything about it. Now, Mary Bach, she went to a, a station somewhere east. Oh, God. She became one of your people. Oh, she's one of us. So now. her brain is scrambled now. She, <laughs> she's probably not with a dam. <laughs> she was so sweet. Oh, she, she was just adorable. She she was so nice. And, and the big thing is, in my line of work, you had to have confidence in the people you were around. And I could always trust Mary, you know, mm -hmm. Mary. Until I told her go, she'd never say a word about anything. A few days after I released the Des Moines episodes, I got an email with a link to Mary Bach's website, maryangelabach.com. And just to give you some background on Mary, she is now a professor at the School of Journalism at the University of Texas at Austin. Prior to that, she was an assignment editor and a field producer at Philadelphia's WPVI-TV. I guess that's the aforementioned area out east that she had moved to. And so I contacted Mary and I asked her to corroborate what Sam had said. And I wanted to know what she thought about the type of person Sam was back then. Here's Mary Bach. Well, I thought that he was helping me try to see if there was anything that could be done to, you know, uncover any more stones in the Johnny Gosh case. Um, and so I found him helpful as a young reporter. Um, he was he was kind and he was helpful, and uh, he also did enjoy um, working with media. Uh, he actually eventually ran for a city uh, a city position. Right, um, yeah, city council, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, um, but that was when the Des Moines Register also found out that he had apparently um, something was misconstrued on his record regarding his. Um, military record right yep yeah i think he had something like he had he had set, he, he had claimed that he had uh been awarded a purple heart which i guess turned out to be not true is is the the report that i read yeah um and so you know sam was um you know kind to me um we uh you know he eventually um Negotiated. I negotiated with him after he got a videotaped interview with Sakura, and I was working closely with Sam on these stories where we were trying to, you know, see if there were any stones left to be unturned in the Johnny Gosh case. Um, and the Frank Sakura tape came up again. Sam could not bust him. Sam was a private investigator uh, who was interested in this for his personal reasons. Um, no one was, as far as I know, nobody was paying Sam. I think that he was, um, 
you know, interested in it because a lot of people at this time were very concerned about child sexual abuse. Uh, this was a topic that did not have the kind of visibility and understanding that we have today. Um, it was also a bit of, in many parts of the country, it was also a bit of a panic time. Um, now that I'm living in Texas, you know, we had the very famous and very tragic um, events in Texas where somebody with daycare center operators were accused of, like, taking kids for satanic rituals and by airplanes in Mexico. Are you acquainted with this case? Uh, not really, but it does, something, it does kind of ring a bell, though. I think I might have heard something yeah. about that. Yeah, so, so this was a period when um, a lot of um, information, um, you know, both, you know, in terms of, of a social problem, as a psychological issue, as a um, sexual abuse issue, you know, just how people had not talked about it that much uh, prior to the 80s and, and what, what um, uh, child sexual abuse, the cycle, you know, of people being abused and then becoming abusers themselves. Um, this kind of information, these studies were coming out in the 80s. So you know, Sam gets interested in it, especially because of Johnny Gash. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, you know, there wasn't a journalist in Des Moines, Iowa at all who didn't want to know and didn't want to find and didn't want to solve this case or get at least enough information so that we could figure it out. Um, so Sam's doing stuff. Uh, he invites, you know, me along as a young reporter to, uh, you know, to, to, to learn more about what he's doing, uh, to see if, you know, there's any possibility of, you know, maybe unearthing more. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Frank Sikora, Frank Sikora case comes up. Um, negotiation, um, I think that I was, I might have been in the other room when Sam actually taped the interview with Frank Sikora. I don't think so. I think that Sam, you know, basically had a witness and did this interview. Uh, and then because I had been talking to him for months, actually, um, shared the tape with me. And it's very important to remember the time that we are talking about here. This was the 80s. So, yeah, obviously it's before the Internet. We know that. But really think about what that means for a second. Because what is the Internet if you could sum it up into one word, information. So when you think about a time long before we as the public had the internet, how are you going to explain to someone, and not just someone, more like an auditorium full of people, an entire town, the entire country even, a dark, sinister world that is existing right underneath their noses? Well, likely what you have to do is shock them to get their attention. He had um, an organization that he started called Scared. Stolen children are reported every day. He said that uh, he, the, for the people who would attend these meetings that he would hold for that group, uh, he would actually show them like some of the images that he found of child pornography. But, I mean, speaking as somebody who knew Sam, do you think that like he wasn't involved in anything like this? Like he was... He was on the on the side of people trying to put a stop to it. He wasn't. Um, he didn't have connections, so to speak, to to these pedophiles. Oh, not to my knowledge. I think that he found it and was shocked by it, and felt the need to shock other people. Um, again, though, we we need to keep in 
perspective, you know, some of the realities of mm-hmm. what social psychologists and researchers know about child sexual abuse, um, and that is that, you know, children are trafficked all the time, mm-hmm. um, and child pornography uh, was uh, existed even before the Internet, um, but I, I think this was kind of new and shocking to people at the time, and I think, you know, Sam cared. Sam enjoyed trying to take a lead on this issue publicly. Okay. He really, he wanted to make a difference, um, and eventually that is why he ran for office. Um, yeah. Okay, so it wasn't that it wasn't that he was a bad person. And th- I mean, I'm glad you're telling me this because this really corroborates what he told me too, is that his exact words to me were, I wanted to shock people. Um, uh-huh. So well, he certainly did. Yeah. And see, I think that frankly, showing child pornography in a public setting, I mean, I, I, I also uh, used very, very heavily edited uh, images mm-hmm. uh, from illegal pornography in um, at least one report um, that was shared with me by an investigator. Uh, so an investigator shared some um, material with me. I was able to heavily, heavily uh, digitize it uh, mm-hmm. to try to show uh, the public, you know, just how revolting um, and, and horrifying this kind of stuff was. I, I don't think people really understood. Um, and I don't think people to this day understand the degree to which children are trafficked now. Um, yeah. um, and, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's horrifying, but, but scaring people doesn't necessarily help solve the problem. And we just know this in hindsight at the time, uh, shocking people into action was part of, um, you know, a, a, you know, one of, one of the things that activists thought would help. Um, yeah. but I, as now that, uh, you know, with, with, with hindsight and with a greater understanding of the overall issue, um, you know, scaring people, shocking people doesn't necessarily educate them to the point where they can make a difference. Some of the PSAs now that are coming out, public service announcements, mm-hmm. um, and some of the educational programs that are being sent to people who work in the travel industry, for instance, as to how to identify a possibly trafficked person, you don't have to show child pornography you know, to teach a flight attendant how to help somebody who might be being trafficked. Right. And, and so, so what we know about this issue now, you know, is, is that maybe, you know, the, the whole shock and scare thing is just as likely to cause false accusation and, and, and fear. Fear doesn't always help us make the best policy decisions. True. So it was really, it was, I mean, because he even said to me, and, um, you know, Ron Sampson, who worked with the Goshes for 35 years now, even said to me that even at the time, nobody knew the word pedophile. That was like a word nobody had ever even heard at that point. They had to, like, explain to them what the word pedophile meant. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was new. It was different. It was scary. It was shocking. Um, And, you know, the possibility that this is what happened to Johnny Gosh you know, terrified and, and made just everybody just, it, it's, it's still, 
it is a case that haunts. It really, it really is. So clearly Mary Bach and Sam Soda had a very good working relationship. Mary left Des Moines in 1988, so she hasn't worked with Sam since around the time that Johnny disappeared. And on a personal level, after having worked with him, she doesn't have one bad thing to say about Sam Soda. In fact, here's what she said to me towards the end of our conversation. If you say hi to Sam, tell him thanks again. You know, he was uh, he was really kind to me, and he gave me, you know, just, the, you know, um, it was a scoop. Yeah. It was a heck of a scoop. You know, for a young reporter, and it was because you know I had he and I had uh, learned to trust one another, and and uh, you know talked about the issue a great deal. Um, he was passionate about it. Um, I'd be interested to know what he thinks in hindsight. You know, yeah. about uh, you know some of the tactics and some of the things. But again, at the time, it was scary. It was new. People were shocked. Um, you know, people just had never heard of this mm. issue before and didn't quite know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, and an awful lot of our wisdom now is twenty twenty hindsight. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, maybe that's um, maybe that was kind of the only option that at that early in the that earliest stage because uh, nobody had heard of it. So really, the only way to get people to even believe that it's real is to is to shock them and show them the really explicit images. Well, you know, journalism is the first draft. That means it's the rough draft. It doesn't mean Sam was perfect. It doesn't mean that he always did the right thing. But he was somebody who fought on the side of good following the disappearance of Johnny Gosh. So in that same vein, I mentioned at the beginning that a big series of events happened just last weekend. So over the past week, John Gosh Sr. and his wife, Sheila, made a trip out to West Des Moines to see Ron Sampson and to meet Mark Hinshaw and Yellowbag, and also to see Sam Soda for the first time in 35 years. I had emailed Ron a couple of weeks ago. I was asking for any kind of an update. Were things still moving forward? Because the one thing that I did not want to see was this case flatlining again. So Ron then includes me in an email with a schedule of what they, in Des Moines, have planned for the weekend, which is as follows. Friday, October 19th, Samson's and Gosh's dinner at Noah's, 6 p.m. Saturday, October 20th, Mark, John, and Yellowbag meet at Mark's office, 9 a.m. for about an hour or so. Sunday, nothing. And Monday, October 22nd, John and Ron meet at the Car Museum, 10 a.m., then convene at Tamara and Sons with Mark and Sam Soda at 1 p.m. for lunch, 1501 Southeast 1st in Des Moines. And when I read that, I was thrilled. I was so excited to find out that these meetings were about to happen. That Friday night, after the Samsons and the Goshes had dinner together, Ron sent me another email, and right out of the gate, he says, a wonderful reunion beyond description tonight. John is so grateful for all that has been done, ideas to pursue, missions to accomplish. But... The part of this whole schedule that you probably really want to know about, and I say that because it was the part that I really wanted to know about, is what was that whole lunch date like on Monday with Sam Soda? So on Monday night, I get an email from Ron Sampson, and in the subject line it says, after 35 years. So I open the email, and there was a picture attached of John Gosh Sr. and Sam Soda next to each other, smiling, sitting at the table at the restaurant they had all gone out to. I mean, it may not seem like much to the naked eye, certainly if you're not familiar with this whole case, 
But if you're someone who's well-versed in the Johnny Gosh case, it'll stop you dead in your tracks. And just so you know, I can already see the comments popping up on Facebook and on Twitter and in the emails. Oh, you know, it's disturbing, it's suspicious, it's this, it's that. Stop. Sam Soda was a private investigator. John Gosh is a dad. They crossed paths 35 years ago when John lost his son without a trace. Any report that you read that claims that Sam Soda was involved, that his car was parked there that morning, any claim that John Gosh was involved, that he sold Johnny out to some ring of pedophiles or to some other international ring, that he went with a Noreen lookalike to meet Paul Benassi in jail for the first time, every word of that is bad information. Those are claims of things that did not happen. And speaking of the alleged Noreen lookalike, I spoke about this person on the season finale, and I spoke about the picture in Noreen's book. This person's name was Diane Robinette, and just this past week, I found her on Facebook. So I sent her a message, and she and I had this exchange. I started off with, Hi Diane, my name is Sarah Dimio, and I'm a podcaster and a radio news reporter from Connecticut. I created and host a podcast called Faded Out, in which I've been following the 1982 disappearance of Johnny Gosh. Please let me know if I have the wrong person. But are you the same Diane Robinette who worked with the private investigator Roy Stevens? If so, I would love to ask you some questions for an upcoming addendum episode. Please let me know, and I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. About an hour later, I got a response, and Diane said, Yes, this is the right person, but I didn't work on that case. I worked with Roy, but not on that one. So I responded back to her and I said, Thank you for your quick response. There is one thing I would like to ask you about. Did you know that in the book that Noreen Gosh wrote, she makes a false claim that you posed as her lookalike and went with John Sr. to meet Paul Benassi in prison and that she never knew about it? Here's a picture I took of inside that book. Is that you in the top picture? And I attached the picture that I snapped of that particular page in the book. So Diane responded back to me and she said, that picture is doctored and her claim is a lie. And then she added, and I do not look like her at all, LOL. Which is true, by the way. Diane Robinette looks nothing like Noreen Gosh. The height is wrong. The facial features are wrong. The only possible similarity that you could make is that they both had long curly hair. But bear in mind, this was the 1980s. Just about all women had that kind of hair back then. So I responded to Diane again. I said, yeah, it is quite a shoddy doctoring job. Would it be all right with you if I called you later tonight so I can just get your response on tape? I know listeners would love to hear your response. And so Diane says, I will think about this. I seriously did not know until about a month ago that this was done. So I said, okay, again, thank you. I appreciate your talking to me. And then Diane says, I will get back to you by this afternoon. Nice talking with you. So a few hours go by, Diane gets back to me again at about 2.42 that afternoon, and she says, I have decided not to do this. Sorry. So I just said, no problem. I understand. So Diane Robinette, the alleged Noreen lookalike, never worked on the Johnny Gosh case. And we talked about the picture in the book of she and John together as being doctored. And it was interesting to me that she said that because that is not the first time I've heard that that picture is doctored. I actually thought so myself when I first saw it. And there was indeed a discussion about how doctored that picture looks in the followers of Faded Out group on Facebook. It's noticeably a cropped picture, if anything at all. 
And there was also talk in the Facebook group about how the light and the perspective look off in the picture. So I'll let you be the judge of that. I will post this picture across social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that for you to see for yourself. But regardless, it's kind of a moot point anyway, because the real point here is it is an event that did not happen. It was a story made up by John Zielinski when he wrote that part of Noreen's book. So I did get to speak to John Sr. earlier this week. I really wanted to hear his thoughts on all the events from the weekend. And so I'd like to share that with you now. And in the first part of our conversation, he brought up some lesser known things about the morning that Johnny disappeared, including the Emilio composite sketch. And who exactly was the first person to call him Emilio? Can we start, let's start with Friday, like that first night you uh, had gone out with Ron. Um, I kind of wanted to ask, what did you guys talk about? Okay. Yeah, Friday night we went out with Ron and his wife to the land and um, at dinner and talked about you and everything with with Mark and, and we talked about different things as far as what we have probably missed for all these years. And, um, but it was just a good evening. But so tell me what was that meeting though? Like when you, you met at, uh, at Mark's office with, um, Ron and, um, yellow bag, right? Right. Okay. So what, what did you guys talk about then? How, how long did that meeting go for? We were actually, together and discussing a lot of things for over an hour and a half. And um, they were very surprised to find out that the West Des Moines Police Department had done the um, composite drawing of this Emilio. Mm -hmm. They didn't know where it came from. You know, they just, they never thought about it. And then the name Emilio where did that come from? And I said, this came from <clears throat> our first private investigator, Dennis Whalen, out of, out of Council Bluffs, Iowa, <clears throat> that was on the case for quite a while, six months at least, if not longer. Just to jump in for a second, because I know the audio on the phone wasn't the best just then, John just said that the first person to mention the name Emilio was a private investigator by the name of Dennis Whelan. So that's where the name Emilio originated from. And they were surprised on that. They thought it had come from Benassi. And I said, no, but Benassi didn't come on the scene until quite a bit later. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he didn't uh, mention, and he, he didn't, like, come out and into the scene until, like, 1989, I think, is the, is yeah. the year. Um, yep. and, and I actually didn't, I didn't know that either. I didn't realize that, but it kind of, when you think about it, it's like, well, it, everything that Benassi supposedly knew he could have just collected from newspapers or mm-hmm. or just stuff like that. Right. Wow. That's like, yeah, that was actually, cause I think, um, yellow bag had actually told me that. And I, I, I was surprised by that. I was like, I, mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that either. I mean, these, these guys are so devoted to coming up with answers and, and trying to discover something new. And we went to mill houses house and somebody had already moved into it. But what was that like to to 
go all the way down there to Millhouse's old house. How, what did that feel like? <clears throat> I've been on that street before through the years. Um, yeah. Because my, my office, believe it or not, was about two miles from there. Oh. Um, so I used to go up Murray Street, just kind of shortcut once in a while when university was plugged up or there was traffic jams or something going on. So... Believe it or not, I just drove by his house many different times and <clears throat> didn't even realize it. Wow. But what, what an area to hide a body back behind that Ron Sampson. I go back through there, didn't realize that that was all vacant. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, it, plus it's like just acres and acres of forest, too. I remember yeah. when, when Yellowbag and I were driving back there, like he started to drive me through this um, really narrow sort of, it was kind of like a dirt road, like an alleyway, and it was Mm -hmm. so narrow that we couldn't even get through it. And at one point we drove through um, (laughs) an area that, it was like somebody just dumped their garbage out there. It was like just, we were just driving and there was like all this, like this, like a, it's like an old swing set or like some other garbage bags out there. Yeah, like, yeah. so yeah, you could easily just drive back there and just dump things, and no one would know. Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, and who knows what it was like 30 years ago. Well, well yeah. It had to be just a mess, so. Yeah. Well, what was it like to see Sam Soda again? I'd really, I really want to know what that meeting was like, though, to be able to sit and talk with Sam for a while. Sam... <clears throat> was himself. Okay. <laughs> he, uh, I mean, he's a lot older and everything else, and himself didn't look good. But <clears throat> he was able to relay to us, just like he did to you, um, a lot of things that he did through the years with, with um, Ron and, and other people, and um, talked a little bit about some of his awareness programs and the reason he quit. Mm-hmm. Just that he said, I can't take any more of it. Um, it there was so much crap being thrown at him <clears throat> from mm-hmm. all directions. Um, but very sincere. I mean, his idea was that Johnny was kidnapped by somebody just out of the clear blue sky. And I, I don't, I told him I didn't, didn't agree with that. I think. Why would he just grab somebody that... <clears throat> that was uh, standing there and not, not having a plan or whatever. Yeah, he mentioned that when when Mark and I had asked him, too. And he said that he thought it was just a crime of opportunity, basically. Uh-huh. Like, there was a lot of really bad characters around at the time, uh, like pedophiles that nobody knew about. And... Um, I guess, I guess, I think he thinks that it was just as simple as somebody saw Johnny standing alone and maybe just saw the opportunity to just roll up on him. Was there anything you were expecting to get out of that meeting with Sam? Um, no, not really. Um, <clears throat> he was sincere, uh, honest with us, and uh, that's what I think Ron and Everybody else took out of that meeting too. It was just great to have 
people together. He was very surprised to hear what Yellow Bag had to say as far as the, uh, <clears throat> the Ford Paramount, the individual. I, you know, I've been thinking about this, <clears throat> and I'm wondering, Johnny May went up and got his papers at the corner and then realized he was out of rubber bands or something and went back to the house to get him and then come walking up. Because okay. he didn't have his papers with him when he came walking up the street because a wagon was sitting there already. That had to be, <clears throat> he had to make a trip back to the house and maybe left the, the dog there at the time, Gretchen, mm-hmm. um, when he went back. That's, it's just been going around in my head because Burgess claims that he's been walking up my court. So he may have brought the wagon to where it was last seen and ran home quick. That's a possibility. I, I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. I never really thought about that. I never really thought that, I, that yeah, that hadn't occurred to me, that he could have, like, made two trips or, or anything like that. But, yeah. Three, three minutes to go to the house and back. Well, maybe five. But, yeah. um, I don't know if Burgess ever put a time frame on when they saw him. Because that yeah, I mean, because... It, yeah, because Chris had mentioned to me that um, he and his dad were pulling out of the driveway, and it, it was it had to have been just before six in the morning, um, because he had to do his paper route. Um, so and like and I, I the way that Chris described it to me is that Johnny was walking um, down Marcourt like th- towards Forty Second and Marcourt, like towards the stop sign. Um, right. And it was at that point that he passed by their driveway. So, uh, I mean, it would have, I, I guess it would have had to have been like just before six in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that, that never occurred to me that he could have like walked back and made two trips. So that's yeah. interesting. I mean, I've been thinking about that. Also, Burgess never said anything about the dog um, being with him. Mm hmm. And he may have taken Gretchen home because, you know, if he ran out of, out of rubber bands, realized that when he got to start rolling up his papers, <clears throat> and this happened before, where he didn't have enough rubber bands or didn't have any rubber bands in his little, little bag, so <clears throat> that's a possibility. Oh, okay. Or <laughs> he, he might have went home to get a a snack too. Who knows? Oh, okay. So that's, I mean, so that was like a common thing that that he would do. He would like he would leave to do the paper route, but like run run back for whatever I, reason. No, I, I wouldn't say it's, it was a common. Not thing, common, but, but it, it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been unusual. It happened before. Okay. That way. All right. Yeah. I, I I that never occurred to me. So yeah, that's a distinct possibility too. I suppose. I said this in episode twenty one, the first time that I spoke to John on the phone. And I have to say it again, I may come across as a little nervous because even now at this stage, as many times as I've spoken to John, whether it be on the phone or by email, at no point does it ever get easier to talk to a parent 
about scenarios that could have played out the morning that their child was abducted, or the potential ways that their child could have been murdered and disposed of. It's not an easy thing at all. But here's that part of our talk. When Milhouse made the statement that if Johnny had kept his mouth shut, that he might be still be alive. So, yeah. who did he talk to? That's the thing, is that, well, if he was talking, that means somebody, then he was talking to somebody, obviously. Um, what, what was he talking about? That's yeah. Thing, so. um, well, I, I remember also, too, I got an email a while back from Yellow Bag, and I don't know, did he bring this idea up to you? He said that maybe, um, maybe what Milhouse meant by that was maybe he, maybe Milhouse had already already taken Johnny and brought him back somewhere and maybe um maybe his intention was just to mess around with him to molest him or something but maybe um maybe he made so much noise that he ended up killing him maybe that's what Milhouse meant when he said nothing would have happened if he just kept his mouth shut in 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 other words he would have he would have lived he would have survived had he kept his mouth shut, so maybe, maybe to a to a, a more um, to a, a more extreme sense, maybe that's in a more darker sense. Maybe that's what Millhouse could have also meant. Possibly. <clears throat> any so are there any other plans moving forward? Because I know that I'm going to come back again. Uh, my plan is to come back in April, and mm-hmm. we've made our plans to. Be back in the morning then too. So, okay. um, so o- overall, how did you feel about this weekend? Did you feel that you know? Did 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 you feel good about it? Did you feel like you know yeah, something yeah, like yeah, you was, know, it, yeah? It was great. I was like, why didn't we think of this before? You know, it was all these little things coming up. We got a whole new different set of <clears throat> of brain cells floating around in this meeting, and. Um, None of them had any attachment at all to the case, just like yeah. it was a a bunch of brilliant people sitting there coming up with ideas that law enforcement never even thought about. Um, and, oh, I also um, managed on Facebook to reach out to the alleged lookalike, um, mm-hmm. and apparently... She she didn't even know for all these years that she was accused of doing this. She, apparently, she had only found out about it last month. Um, and uh, I asked I asked her if she would want to talk to me on the phone about it, and she was and she thought about it, and she was like like No, I don't I don't want to do that. Um, but even she said I, we, she and I were messaging back and forth on Facebook a little bit, and even she was like, Okay, well that's a doctored picture, um, and. Uh, and and she also explained to me like, yes, I worked with Roy Stevens, but I never worked on the Johnny Gosh case. Like I I was never a part yeah. of that case. And um, and uh, she said that's clearly a doctored picture. And um, the 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 whole claim about a lookalike that it that is in the book. Um. That she's like, and she confirmed it. She was like, "It's a lie. Like that claim is a lie." Um, so, 
yeah. And I was, I so was, she's, yeah, I was really hoping I could get her voice on on tape, but she didn't want to. She didn't want to speak on on the tape, though. Hopefully, that'll put that theory to bed finally, though. Ho- hopefully, I'm hoping. Well, I also found out that, that um, somewhere on Facebook, somebody made a statement that Sam's car was seen at the scene where Johnny was kidnapped. Back then. Yeah, I never, I never saw that for my, I never saw that on Facebook, but somebody did tell me about it, and yeah, yellow yellow bag brought it up, and yeah. he he, got, he he follows all that stuff, but anyway, anyway, Sam says, "Oh, really? <laughs> well, then the scene was hundred, two hundred miles from here because we weren't even in the morning when that happened, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and and his wife, his wife is there too." Sam's wife was there with us. She said, yeah, we're out of town. Yeah, Yeah, he was a character when when Mark and I went to meet him because he said something. He he kind of brought it up out of nowhere. He was like, did you know that I married my secretary? And we were like, oh, no, that's good. Like, no, we didn't know that. And and Mm -hmm. he's like, like, yeah, she's 14 years younger than me. Uh, People... um, People tell me that I robbed the cradle. The, the cradle. I tell them that I that she robbed the grave. Oh. Yeah. It's a story that that draws people in. I mean, people want to know. So, and you know, I'm just I'm glad to be doing it. You know, I'm. That's why I want to keep doing it. I, I kind of want to. I've gotten this far. I kind of want to see it all the way through now. And we are very Yeah. Uh, Ron, and Ron says that too, and so did Yellowbag, and of course Mark, because they are, they're dedicated. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, wow, you don't even know me, and you are doing all this, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just, um, I don't know, it's like I, I said in one of my episodes, it sort of, um, it speaks to, the 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 kid in me like the, the fact that i have this platform and the fact that i have a voice the kid in me wants to give a voice to a kid that doesn't have mm-hmm. one so thousands of other kids out there too that are in the same same situation so mm-hmm, absolutely uh, so just as sort of an afterward to that conversation with john i have to say it bothers me quite a bit that Johnny's case is treated like an urban legend. And it bothers me that there are so many people out there who indulge so much into all the conspiracy theories that there are out there about what happened to Johnny, especially when you have corroboration from other people, people who knew John Sr., people who knew Sam Soda, people who didn't even know that they were accused of things, all who say they did not do the heinous things that they are accused of doing in books with no basis and internet message boards. Johnny Gosh was a real person whose case was a mess from the very beginning. So personally, I think, and this is just what I think, you can disagree with me, but I think it dishonors his memory when local characters who were known pedophiles at the time, who said and did things to potentially incriminate themselves, are not even looked into. And when realistic timelines are brushed aside because the much grander story that's been growing over the years is much more exciting. So obviously, you're welcome to believe what you want, but I just ask that you have concrete information to back it up. 
and make sure you know where your source material is coming from. And before you start spreading things on the internet or adding fuel to any fires, I want you to think about what I asked you to do in the very first episode of this podcast. Imagine you're 12 years old. Go back in your head to that version of yourself. If what happened to Johnny had happened to you, how would you want people to be treating your case after all these years? So I think I mentioned before on this podcast that I will go back to Des Moines. And as you heard me say to John, the plan is to do that in April. So now that I've put that out there, that's my word. And being that that's about six months from right now, I'm eager to see how much more we can do in that time and how much more we can share with you. And I'm certain that there will be more addendums before then and more updates, even as we start season two of Faded Out with a whole new case, which will begin in January. And until then, you can find Faded Out on Facebook at facebook.com slash fadedoutpodcast. There's also the closed group that you can request to join called Followers of Faded Out. Faded Out is also now on Instagram, so please follow us on Instagram at fadedoutpodcast. You can reach out to us by email at fadedoutpodcast at gmail.com. As always, Faded Out is recorded at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Farmington, Connecticut. Thank you for joining me for this season one addendum. I'm Sarah Dimio. See you next time.